Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. My partner Terry Barber is out. Uh, he's out on assignment. Uh, Paul Clay would be joining me in a few minutes, uh, in, in any, any moment now. Today, there's a whole lot to talk about. I want to talk about the, the dehumanizing aspects of psychology. We'll be talking about that. Kind of do a deep dive. Is psychology in education a friend or a foe? We'll be looking at that in... Uh, uh, we'll be doing a deep dive on that myself and Paul Clay. Also, I want to talk a little bit about the what happened during the Mexican Mexican American War. Most people don't realize that a lot of uh, Irish uh, American soldiers they thought that the war was an unlawful, unjust, and so a lot of them ended up uh, fighting alongside the Mexican soldiers back in the 19th century. We'll talk about that. That's uh, that's where certain Catholics, Irish Catholics, put their faith above their country. And by the way, that's the way as Catholics we should always comport ourselves. Our faith should uh, always be before our country. If not, you fall into what's called the heresy of Americanism. want to mention also that there's a mother-daughter retreat June 26th and July 1st uh, with Father Chad Ripperger. A, a mother-daughter retreat. Uh, there's also another retreat by Kyle Clement, who's Father Ripperger's right-hand man. It's called Reclamation Theology Retreat, June 12th to June 17th. And that's basically reclaiming back our Catholic tradition. If you want information on those retreats, go to libercristo.org. Libercristo.org. By the way, today is the feast day of one of the doctors of the church, St. Catherine of Siena. Pray for us. Let's get into the gospel for today, and I'd also like to get into the first reading. We have time for that. We'll get into today's gospel and into the first reading. By the way, uh, the month of April is an important month for us as Catholics. Think about this month. This is the month uh, where we experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most important event in human history. This is also the month when we received the Holy Eucharist at the Last Supper. Uh, this is also the month when the priesthood was instituted on Holy Thursday. And this is also the month when God gave us a mandate to become fishers of men. Just like He served the apostles. He was the Master, yet He served the apostles. He's asking us to do likewise. So the month of April is loaded with all kinds of biblical theology. And uh, let me check if, if Paul's on with me. Paul, are you on? Nope, Paul's not on yet. Okay, today's gospel. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Today's gospel is, is a precursor to our Lord's Eucharistic discourse. John chapter 6, all of us as Catholics know that are into apologetics that, yeah, John chapter 6 is, is, the, is the chapter. Paul, welcome to the Terry and Jesse show, my friend. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through today's gospel, John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. This is a precursor to the Eucharistic discourse uh, in, John, in, in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. We basically see Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. Why did he do that? And also we see the Lord, he walks on water. The Lord performed miracles to prepare people 
for the greatest miracle that he was going to perform at the Last Supper, which is the replication, uh, the real presence of his body, blood, soul, and divinity in a sacred family meal. So he's preparing the apostles by all these other miracles that he did before the Last Supper and before the resurrection, which is, again, it's the coup de grace when it comes to all miracles. So let's look at today's gospel, and we'll go back and forth, myself and Paul. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was performing on the sick. So notice, people see that he performs miracles, and so he has a large crowd of people following him. Uh, Obviously, uh, it was the uh, miracles that were attracting large amounts of people to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ confirmed his message by miracles. It goes on. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. It's very interesting. You'll find in the Old Testament, when the prophets are going to give lectures, they go next to a mountain, or they go on top of a mountain. So Christ is basically imitating uh, the tradition of the Jewish prophets here. It says, The Jewish feast of Passover was near. When Jesus raised his eyes and saw that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where can we buy enough food for them to eat? He said this to test him because he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 days worth of food would not be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these for so many? Jesus said, Have the people recline. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, so the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks. The word gave thanks is the Greek word Eucharistine. And distributed them to those who were reclining, and also as much of the fish as they wanted. When they had their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather the fragments left over so that nothing will be wasted. So they collected them and filled twelve wicker baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that had been more more than they could eat. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is truly the prophet, the one who was to come into the world. Jesus knew that they were going to come and carry him off to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain alone, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we have going on here in in this multiplication of the loaves? This is the only miracle besides the resurrection that's recorded in all four gospels. That's the first point I want to make. John's account from the preface to to our Lord Jesus Christ to the extensive discourse on the bread of life over in verse 35 to 59, notice that we have here two food miracles in the Gospel of John. One involves bread from verses 1 to 4, and in John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11, the other involves wine, the wedding feast of Cana. So together, this bread miracle and the wine miracle in the next chapter They both anticipate the Eucharistic liturgy, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, where Jesus gives himself as food under the visible signs of bread and wine. Also, in verse 4, that jumps out at me where it talks about uh, the Passover. Remember, three times this feast is mentioned in the Gospel of John, the Passover. It was celebrated every single year in Jerusalem to commemorate Israel's deliverance from Egyptian slavery. But central to the Feast of the Passover, most people don't realize, is a liturgical meal called a Seder, in which the story of the Exodus 
is retold, psalms are sung, and a lamb is eaten with unleavened bread and other condiments. So here John the Apostle mentions this upcoming feast to hint that Jesus Christ will give a new and greater meaning to the Passover, which he is going to accomplish as the true Lamb of God. And, and that's exactly what he did at the Last Supper. He gave us a sacramental and a liturgical meal that was, is supposed to be done until the end of time. This way we come in contact with the body, blood, soul, divinity of Christ in this new covenant, new Passover meal. And, and the last thing that jumps out at me is, uh, is where, the, where it says that and our Lord gave thanks. A lot of people don't realize that the word gave thanks, the word thanks, this is the Greek word Eucharistine, from which we get the English word Eucharist. That's where it's derived from. And so the miracle of the loaves foreshadows the institution of the sacrament of the Last Supper. And it's, uh, it's, it's the new covenant meal that will last until the end of time. And that's the bread of life that will get us ultimately one day to heaven. Paul, comments? Amen. Yeah, Jess, I'm glad you brought up that Seder meal because uh, when, we, when we look in terms of uh, type and shadow, we notice that, number one, during that first Passover, right, that, uh, you know, they were instructed to mark, you know, the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and, and on the lintel, but they also had to partake of that sacrificial meal. And if the type in the shadow was a sacrificial meal, then we know that the reality and the fulfillment was none other than Christ himself and his great sacrifice. And as it is, like you said, this pre-shadowed the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is, in fact, a sacrifice that is not another sacrifice, but the same sacrifice that is represented here and now for you and me. Uh uh, that is what the Catholic Church teaches. That is what Christian, you know, throughout the annals of Christian uh, history, that is what has been taught. And no other view was believed in Christendom until, uh, uh, I would say, the time of the Reformation. Correct. Yeah. 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 Also, uh, the manna from heaven that Moses provided in the wilderness strengthened and sustained the people of God and enabled them to survive and enter and eventually enter into the promised land. Likewise, the Lord himself also prefigured, prefigured as the rock. Remember, it says in the New Testament that Jesus was that rock that went before them in the desert. So he was also prefigured as that rock that uh, he sustains us through our journey in this wilderness and eventually will lead us as Yeshua, by the way, Joshua was the one that led the people of Israel into the promised land. So that was also another uh, uh, prefiguring. Uh, Jesus will lead us into the promised land called heaven. Amen. Good stuff. Terry and Jesse shows Jess Romero, Paul Clay, two Catholics that are fully vaxxed with the blood of Jesus. We'll be back talking about psychology. Is it our friend or is it our foe? Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back to Terry and Jesse Show. We got a two-man card, Jess Romero, Paul Clay, two Catholics fully vaxxed with the blood of Jesus, 
two Catholics fully boosted with the seven sacraments of the church. Well, not yet. We're not dead yet. So, uh, and we're not priests. So I guess six sacraments. Paul, there's an interesting article. Uh, it uh, it's, talks about mental health, the dehumanization as a result of mental health. Uh, I want to just make some comments on it. It says, the mental health system being controlled by the state, along with the insurance and pharmaceutical industries, aims at keeping men in this fallen state. That is, this corrupt system itself, being a slave to the world, is only capable of further enslaving the patient, its patients in the same manner. Psychologists and psychiatrists claim to have the answers while they, while they themselves are restricted by their bottom line materialistic worldview. They, psychiatrists and psychologists, reflect the scriptural teaching that says in 2 Peter 2.19, quote, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. I would add another verse that's the blind leading the blind, as St. Matthew says. So how can this system of psychology and psychiatry, modern, modern psychology and psychiatry, see this, which sees child murder and genital, genital mutilation as morally good, how can it be qualified and responsible for the well-being of a population? Well, the answer is that only in a purely secular and godless society is this possible. And that's where we're at right now as Americans. God made man in his own image and likeness, directing humanity to act for certain ends. Unlike plants and animals, man is rational and so naturally inclines towards knowing truth and choosing the good. Paul? Yeah, Jess. Um, did you want me to continue on? or? Yeah, go ahead, continue on. We'll make with some comments. Yeah, go continue on. Then we'll okay. comments at the end. Yeah. Okay. But truth and goodness are far from the mental health system's goal. Instead, it is quite the opposite. Willem Wundt one of the fathers of modern psychology was, was a relativist whose ideas still hold as the foundation of the current mental health system. He wrote in 1912, there exists only changing and transient ideational processes. Okay. But an absurd line of thinking like this doesn't just innocently sit in one's mind. It has destructive effects, especially if one is dubbed a father of modern psychology. It was denial of objective truth by Wundt and his contemporaries that resulted in even crazier ideas. For instance, Wundt wrote in his outlines of psychology, the mental life of animals shows itself to be in its elements and in its general laws of their combination everywhere the same as that of man wow the mental yeah 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 jess can you imagine uh, well we already know that these ideas particularly in western medicine whether it be you know uh, in, in this case we're talking about uh, in the area of mental health uh, this was all derived from Darwinianism and Darwinian yes. thought. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, the mental health system, you have to question what the goals are. As you know, the, the heavy medications that they put people on, Jess, it truly does enslave people. Um, uh, uh, I was told by someone. Some, some, state, that, 
Some stay there for some stay in those medications, psych medications. For yes. Me. Yeah, Jess, I was told by someone and I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call it uh, the person per, uh, patient X okay. said the day that I stopped the medication, I felt relieved uh, uh, on and off the medication for 20 years, diagnosed wow. with PTSD, severe anxiety disorder and bipolar depression. The medicine itself on the uh on the label, Jess says the side effects could be suicide. That could be one of the side effects of the med medication, right? Um, you know, and, and I don't know that that's just a disclaimer. The meds made uh, patient X feel like they were having an out of the body experience. Mm. The meds supposedly work by balancing chemicals, serotonin levels in the brain called neurotransmitters that affect mood and emotion levels. The problem is just is they are completely guessing when it comes to this and they're not understanding that, you know, they're, they're treating people uh, essentially like we're just a conglomeration of cells and, and, and neurotransmitters. And if, that if we, uh, you know, touch the right, uh, um, uh, button somehow will feel uh, good. And as long as we want, you know, and let me tell you something, I don't know about you, Jess, but I don't want to feel good artificially. You know, there's some times when uh, we as human beings, you know, God, God gave us our emotion system for a reason and, and, and feeling bad uh, sometimes is part of the process of healing. Yeah. And also, and, and also sometimes suffering, redemptive suffering that that's nowhere that's nowhere part of the equation of the mental health industry. Right. Look what it says here, Paul. It says the mental health system, what a, what a phrase, dehumanizes people in that it reduces man to an irrational animal. Powerful line there. No longer yeah. is man made in the image and likeness of God with the sole purpose of glorifying him, but, but human fulfillment for the mental health system is determined by whatever one wants it to be. Mere feelings, financial freedom, human respect. When truth is subjectively determined by the creature over the creator's objective order and design, this is the cause of so-called mental illness. In this yeah. all-too-common case, a person rejects reality at the expense of their own well-being. But the temporal gain is, in their eyes, worth it. As the Bible says in Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, Due to the hardness of their heart. Yeah, hardness of heart is just pride, which according to St. Thomas Aquinas is when, man, is when man aims higher than he is because he wishes to appear above what he really is. Human flourishing, that is, human fulfillment and freedom, only occurs to the extent one diminishes personal pride. While the godless mental health system only bolsters pride, Catholicism steers man away from it. And this humble path leads to the to the to everything the mental health system promises but never delivers, which is well-being. Because to be fully human is to see oneself as he is. And this is the essence of humility, which Thomas Aquinas teaches to be in direct opposition to pride, and therefore serving as the true remedy for man's distress, mental illness, and the damage done by psychologists, psychiatrists, and counselors. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, man is in distress. Yes, that's a, that's a uh, that's a, that's a good line. Servant of God, uh, servant of God, Father John Harden, who was handpicked by Pope Saint John Paul II to catechize America, provides a solid blueprint for the elimination of pride. Mm. 
we human beings cannot become humble unless we are humiliated. And this is one of the graces, one of the graces that God puts into our lives where he uses other people to humiliate us. And the more tendency we have to pride, the more we need others to humble our better or better humiliate us. Hardin, one of the last faithful Jesuits around, spent much of his energy criticizing the mental health system for its assaults on Christian morality. So many modern psychologists and psychiatrists tell their clients, don't be a slave of your conscience, satisfy your desires. You are in charge of your own life. You determine what is good and you choose what you want. In all these cases, the demonic strategy is clear. Keep sinners in their sinful state and mind and keep them from ever repenting of their sinful state of soul. Mm. Yeah, Jess, this is, uh, you know, again, I don't want to seem like uh, we're coming across as being, you know, you know, we understand and we can acknowledge that people, you know, suffer from mental illness. But what we're saying here is that society's approach to solving mental illness, uh, and we've seen a ton of it within our careers as law enforcement, but society's approach is all wrong. Uh, they, uh, again, you can hear the words, what, you know, what these psychiatrists and psychologists are saying, you know, it's all about you. It's all centered on you. And that's not the case. We know uh, when we come to Christ, we understand that uh, we can say truly, I am but dust. And I and, and we can humble ourselves before God, understanding that we are in a fallen state and ask God, uh, knowing uh, that we have a need, and that need would be that God can restore us back as sons and daughters of the living God. Yeah, the problem, the problem with modern psychology, Paul, is that it looks at the human person. It has it's it has a a wrong anthropology. What I mean by that, the human person is nothing but synapses, neurotransmitters, protoplasm, protons, neutrons, electrons, slamming at each other at the speed you know uh, at the speed of light. With yeah. brains and sinews and tissues. No. The the Catholic view of the human person is that we're a body-soul, a body-soul composite, and the soul has an intellect and a will and emotions. And so this any mental illness is a sickness of the soul. And so you can't treat the sickness of the soul with pills and with secular humanist methods. I'll, I'll give you an example of, of again, a secular psychologist. I have a good, a good Catholic friend of mine. Uh, nobody knows who he is. His name's Rolando. He, he was having marital problems, and he went to the Los Angeles Archdiocesan Psychologist for an advice. He, he went and got advice from the Los Angeles Archdiocesan. Uh, they, they contract with a psychologist, so he went to the one that they uh, contracted with. He figured, okay, the Catholic Church, my church told me to come to him. So he goes, I'm having marital problems, I'm having intimacy problems, my wife doesn't want to be intimate with me, this, that, and the other. And guess what uh, the psychologist, the archdiocesan-approved psychologist told him, he goes, you don't need your wife. Grab a magazine, grab a, pornograph a pornographic magazine, go in the shower and play with yourself. That's what she told my friend who went to the diocese to get a referral to a good Catholic psychologist. See, because the psychologist looked at my friend, We'll call him R. Just looked at him like, 
uh, nothing but a, uh, you know, just a, a hodgepodge of, of 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 cells and protoplasm that needs to that needs to fulfill himself. So go ahead and just pleasure yourself, and and that's it. The psychologist didn't see him as a child of God, as a sinner, as a body soul composite who was wounded, and so the the person did not send him to the sacraments, did not send him to confession or to prayer or to penance, but gave him some dumb, you know, Carl Jung Maslow type of of, of solution. Paul comments. Uh, as you know, as the audience probably knows, I, I took a detour out of the church and and got into Protestantism as a young man. And uh, there's a group known as Focus on the Family, Dr. James Dobson. And he hold the thought, the teaser, same- teaser, yeah. teaser. <laughs> hold that thought. Paul's going to talk about Focus on the Family. I want to hear it. Up next, the Terry and Jesse show. We're going to continue. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're talking about mental health, mental illness, psychology. Is it a friend or a foe to the Catholic faith? I say it's infiltrated the Catholic Church and negatively. Paul, you were sharing the fact that you've been a, you were a Protestant for you left the church and you're a Protestant for about 20 years. And you're sharing something about uh, Dr. James Dobson, Focus on the Family. Yeah, so um, again, uh, and I'm not saying that uh, Dr. Dobson, who considers himself a Christian psychologist, you know, hasn't made some some contributions. But again, we know that the devil's strategy is always to mix truth with error. And then you come out with something that is less than the fullness of the faith and, uh, you know, and designed to lead us astray. So James Dobson, what he could, what he said often was that uh, masturbation was uh, something that was a normal part of the process of a growing teen, uh, that it was not sin, and it was actually healthy. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh. now, yeah. Now, now, again, you can see that when you understand when when psychology wow. has its roots in Dar uh, Darwinianism, yeah. uh, you know they come to these conclusions and they they are tone deaf when it comes to sensitivity to sin. Now we know that you know if you are uh, demonstrating something like lust of the flesh, particularly in an environment where uh, you know we're just inundated with everything that just distorts the natural. Um, uh, you know, uh, marital relationship between a man and a woman, uh, there is no way, in no way, shape or form can you consider masturbation healthy and and, and normal. Uh, uh, But that's the conclusion when, you know, when, when, you know, when you are involved in error, that's the conclusion that you come up with. the, by the way, to... by, yep, the Catechism of the Catholic Church clearly uh, on this on the section of the Sixth Commandment, it says that uh, masturbation is a mortal sin. That's magisterial teaching. That's not even negotiable. Uh, pleasuring oneself, s- s- spilling your seed, that's called the sin of onanism. Uh, that's uh, in, in in the Catholic faith. There's not there's there's no equivocation on that. That's a sin, and if it's done with full knowledge, it's a and, and deliberate yes. sin of the will. It's a mortal sin. Yes, and Jess, uh, and and I'm going to uh, 
you know, go out on a limb and make a connection and say that all the gender dysphoria that we see today is connected to uh, uh, modern day psychology. And, and, and this is how it works. Number one, uh, you know, I read that part a little while ago where they said, satisfy your desires. You are in charge of your own life. You determine what is good and you choose what you want. Isn't that what they're doing, Jess? So all of this that we see is a natural result. At one time, we looked at uh, homosexuality as, uh, you know, as uh, abnormal behavior, as something that was um, a disorder. And now we're being told that these, you know, hey, they have gifts to offer the church. You know what I mean? And and uh, listen. The last I checked, Jess, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but sacred scripture tells us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Come out from amongst them, be ye separate. And, you know, if a brother among you be in sin, you go to him, you confront him. If he if he repents, you know, you restore to brother. But if you take two or three and he, and he still doesn't repent, take it to the church. And at that point, you treat him like a uh, you know, a tax collector, you, you know, uh, if he if he refuses to listen even to the church. I mean, again, we might I might sound a little bit uh, harsh in today's environment. I might even be accused of being somehow uh, 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 unloving. But I always say, Jesse, you hear me say it all the time. If truth offends you, you need to be offended because our goal is to be pleasing to God, to be in communion with God, to be in fellowship with God, and eventually to, 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 to this fellowship will last throughout eternity in heaven. And this is the, the time right now when it's, you know, the last I checked, no one's going to get to heaven unless they repent and turn away from their sins. Amen. I just want to mention something that Father Mitch Pacwa said. It's in a movie. It's in a documentary on EWTN. It's called The Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. I recommend everybody watch that documentary. It's very well done. It mm. talks about the uh, infiltration of the Catholic Church by Marxists and communists. But Father Mitch Pacwa, I'm going to quote him in the movie. He's the narrator. He says this, quote, The soft sciences such as sociology, psychology, psychiatry were born as a result of the French Revolution. Mm. Which, which promoted an anti-supernatural bias, which says that everything now has a natural solution and a rational answer to it. Yep. The Age of Enlightenment was also that, that, that same time period where so many things changed, Jess. Yeah, and, uh, and, and so the, the fact is, uh, psychology, I think they have actually departed from their very roots because the name psychology, it actually means the study of the soul. A psych, <laughs> a psych means soul, suke in Greek, ology means study of. Psychology means the study of the soul. And guess what psychiatry means? Psychiatry in Greek means the treatment of the soul. But unfortunately, psychology or bad psychology, secular Darwinian psychology has infiltrated the Catholic Church. And, uh, and, and now the whole mental health industry, once upon a time, you know, under the auspices of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages... It was controlled by Catholic thinkers, by Catholic thought, by the Word of God. Now the yep. mental health industry is controlled by the state, by and it's heavily influenced by insurance companies and big pharma. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jess. Uh, we are in trouble. We How the mighty have fallen. Like you said, when you look at the root study of those words, 
you know, the meaning has changed. I don't even, I'm not even sure that they acknowledge the soul anymore, Jess, as, as being uh, something of substance that exists, because if they did, they would understand that man's greatest need would be the, uh, the healing of that soul. The, you know, right. the, yeah. Hey, Paul, let's move on to another topic. Uh, I want to talk about patriotism, nationalism, and the Catholic faith. It also touches on the heresy of Americanism when somebody's more American than they are Catholic. It's a brief. It's. A, I'm just going to quote a few paragraphs, and I want to. We'll talk about it. Uh, it's. Uh, it's called during the Mexican War, during the Mexican American War, Irish Americans fought for Mexico in the St. Patrick's Battalion. This is interesting here. A lot of people don't know this. So, as dawn broke. On the morning of September 13, 1847, a group of men stood on on hastily erected gallows, nooses secured around their necks. In the distance, they watched as the relentless artillery bombardment rained down on Mexican troops at Chapultepec Castle, home to a military academy and site of the penultimate major battle in the war between Mexico and the United States. In the days prior... Other members of their battalion had been publicly whipped, branded, and hanged. There was to be yet another grisly spectacle of revenge. The last thing they witnessed was U.S. soldiers storming the desperately guarded structure on the horizon. The American colonel overseeing their execution pointed at the castle, reminding the men that their lives would extend only as long as it took for their death to come at the most humiliating moment possible as the U.S. flag was raised at approximately 9.30 a.m. The condemned men were launched into eternity, as newspapers would later relay to readers in the United States. So, the men who died that day, they were not ordinary enemy fighters. They were captured American soldiers from El Batallon, Batallon de San Patricio, or St. Patrick's Battalion, who had fought fiercely in the Battle of Churubusco just weeks earlier. Many were Irish immigrants who had come to the U.S. to escape economic hardships, but found themselves fighting in the Mexican-American War against their adopted country. They, the conflict pitted many Catholic immigrants to America against a largely Catholic Mexico, and many of these Irish soldiers had switched sides, joining Mexican forces in the fight against the United States. They were, for the most part, diehard believers in the cause around which they had coalesced, defending Mexico until those very last moments on that September morning. Though they were on the losing side of the war, their actions are still celebrated in Mexico today, where they are viewed as heroes. It, it's funny, one of the Mexican champions, uh, that, that young Mexican champion, what's his name, uh, very famous boxer, I've uh, he's the redhead and he's... Ang he's very Canelo, Canelo Alvarez. Ca Canelo looks very Irish or very Spanish. In other words, I think there's some Irish or, or Spanish stain roots. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look like an Aztec Indian. That, that, he looks like uh, Jerry Quarry's son. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paul, it says here John Riley, an Irish immigrant who once trained at West Point cadets in, in artillery, was a founding member along with a handful of others who would later join him of the San Patricios. When the yeah. U.S. troops had arrived in Texas during the spring of 1846 ahead of a formal declaration of war, he crossed his own proverbial Rubicon, the Rio Grande River, 
and offered his services to the Mexican military. Paul, this is something that, I mean, this had to be a heart-wrenching decision for any Catholic at a time of war. My hat's off to this guy. This guy yeah. put faith before a country. Well, let me just say this, Jess. Uh, first of all, Mexico then is not the Mexico of today. That's I want to stress that. So, we, you know, I don't want anybody to think like, what? Mexico? Mexico then, uh, you know, uh, again, as, as stated in this article, was a largely Catholic, uh, very conservative, and they were a lesser power when it came to the United States. And it's unfortunate because, you know, it's unfortunate how, how the borders of nations are determined. But, you know, because the U.S. isn't the only one like by, by we, power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's basically, you know, uh, to you know, the, the stronger man wins survival of the fittest to the victor belongs the spoils type thing. But, uh, uh, you know, this was a case where, uh, uh, you know, Mexico was literally trounced on by its larger neighbor, the United States, uh, and essentially annexed. And some of these states like Texas and California, who were uh, at one time part of Mexico, are now uh, part of the United States. Yeah. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. We'll come right back. We're going to talk about this, this obscure point in history, the St. Patrick Battalion. Stick around. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. The Mexican-American War began at a time when attitudes in the U.S. towards Irish and other immigrants were tinged with racial and religious prejudice. Though a massive influx was spurred by the Irish potato famine starting in 1845, the years leading up to the war had seen a, had seen a steady stream of Irish immigrants to the U.S. seeking economic opportunity. The American Protestant majority resented the Irish for being of lower socioeconomic status and also for being Catholic. At the time, Catholicism was viewed with suspicion and at times outright hostility. These attitudes sometimes manifested in violence, including the destruction of Catholic churches early on in Philadelphia in what came to be known as the Bible riots of 1844, a decade earlier, an angry mob of uh, uh, burned down a convent on the outskirts of Boston. Uh, between these flare-ups, a general disdain for Catholic immigrants festered as the number of overall immigrants from European countries rose. In fact, yeah, when Catholics came from Europe over here through Ellis Island, Catholics were all relegated to the state of Maryland. The Protestants called it Maryland, on specifically saying, okay, you guys worship Mary, uh, you guys uh, are going to be... Uh, reclused to this uh, uh, state only. And so Catholics were not allowed early on to live in the other 12 colonies. Yeah, they wrongly stated that we worship of course, Mary. Of, of course they did. Yeah, they misrepresented <laughs> us. Uh, it, it says, I'll get to the meat of it because I want to do some reflection with you. Upon the declaration of war against Mexico, Congress authorized the addition of up to 50,000 new troops to bolster a fairly small standing army. The U.S. entered the war with an army that was comprised of 40% immigrants, many of whom were poorer and less educated than the officers overseeing them. Yet another stark difference between them was religion, and their treatment fueled a sense of indignation. The officer class was not immune to religious bias. Uh, 
A- Amy S. Greenberg, author of A Wicked War, Polk, Clay, and the 1846 U.S. Invasion of Mexico, writes in an email, quote, Almost all officers were Protestants, and they not only refused to let Catholic soldiers attend Mass in Mexican churches, they quite often forced them to attend Protestant services. So the establishment of the St. Patrick's Battalion then took place in a climate of anti-Irish and anti-Catholic prejudice during a period in the United States of unprecedented Irish immigration. The character of the battalion, St. Patrick's Battalion, was formed in the crucible of this burning conflict. And the, the, the last point I'll make, that we'll, I'll, I'll take it over to Paul. This was not lost on Mexico. General Antonio Lopez de Santana, known for his recapture of the Alamo in 1836, exploited this, hoping to tap into the sentiment of others like Riley. In a declaration later translated in American newspapers, he wrote, quote, The Mexican nation only looks upon you as some deceived foreigners and hereby stretch out to you a friendly hand, offer you the felicity and the fertility of their territory, close quote. Uh, 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 Santana, General Santana, offered monetary incentives, land, and the ability to retain rank and remain cohesive with their commanders. But But most ardently of all, Santana, General Santana, appealed to their shared Catholicism. He said, quote, Can you fight by the side of those who put who put fire to your temples in Boston and Philadelphia? If you are Catholics, the same as we, if you follow the doctrines of our Savior, why are you seen sword in hand murdering your brethren why are you the antagonist of those who defend their country and your own god close quote so instead general santana promised those who fought with him would be received under the laws of that truly christian hospitality and good faith which irish guests are entitled to expect and obtain from a catholic nation now here's my point in all of this here we see the saint patrick uh, battalion soldiers Many of them put faith before nation. I'll tell you why. Because your citizenship is going to end when you die. When you drop dead, you're not going to be a Mexican citizen, Canadian citizen, American citizen. But the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter 2 that you'll be a citizen of heaven. And that's permanent. That's a permanent uh, visa card, by the way, that stands for your soul. Uh, Every other citizenship ends at the grave. And so uh, I applaud these uh, Irishmen. Rest in peace. I wasn't there, so I don't know the nuances, but I can tell you this, it, just from a macro perspective. The Mexico back in 1846 was not the Mexico of today. Okay? The Mexico today is, is, again, it's a culture of death. It's a culture of crime. It's a culture of cartels. It, it's a culture of drugs. It's, it's a culture that's embraced all the worst things of the United States. Uh, but I will say this, is that you will see that the leadership in Mexico for over a hundred years, well over a hundred years, the leadership is basically bought and owned by the, the, free, the, the American Freemasons. They're the ones that have propped up the Mexican Freemasons. They funded them. They financed them. And that's who controls Mexico present tense. It's the Mexican Freemasons that are funded by the American Freemasons. And basically, the rest of the Catholics that are trying to live their faith out authentically, they live with the Masonic Mexican jackboot in their neck. And by the way, the Masons are typically Protestants, Paul. 
Yes, uh, that was a definite uh, recruiting ground. Like I, I think I told you one time that as a Protestant and, and having dealt with many Protestant denominations, for some of the denominations, not all, I mean, you know, some of ob- are obviously conservative, much more conservative, but some of them, it was uh, Freemasonry was like the Knights of Columbus. <clears throat> you know, and we know that when you really take a good look at Freemasonry, in the end, it is uh, Luciferian. It is uh, really satanic. Okay. Now, a lot of people, you know, might get offended by that, but do your homework. As you climb through the ranks and as you get to the top, that's when the curtain is pulled back and you realize that uh, it, you are literally worshiping Satan within that uh, uh, within that society. system. Of, yeah, that's, secret that's society. Secret society, right? Paul, somebody, yeah. just, somebody listening to our show just uh, texted me. He's, uh, he's in the field of psychology. He said, uh, my background is in psychology. All the theoretical orientations for counseling are atheistic all mm. of them that says exactly wow. what you said he just said yep. uh, yeah he says all the theoretical orientations used in psychology counseling are atheistic all of them yeah you know jess at the beginning of this show you mentioned uh the heresy of americanism and uh i just wanted to you know how do you know uh, you know uh, it, first of all you know, tell us which pope it was that uh, that 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 uh, spoke about the heresy of Americanism. But what I but what I want to mention here is, if you're watching Fox News a lot more than you are involved in the church, <laughs> that might be a good indicator that you need to refocus. Because I'm not saying you know uh, uh, I consider myself a patriot, but at the same time, you know there is a lot of effort spent on disinformation and all you know and as we have found through this last election cycle and a little bit before uh how easily information is censored and kept from the people in order to shape our opinions about things so um i just think that uh, we need to pay attention we need to uh know the word of god uh, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee, David wrote. Well, that's what we need to do as Catholics. We need to hide the word of God and the word of God. Uh, and we need to measure everything that we come into contact with up against what the word of God says. Prayerfully. Yeah. Amen. The The heresy of, of Americanism was written and condemned by Pope Leo XIII. That's probably around... Uh, about Turn of the century. Yeah, about 110 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the heresy which was condemned is the denial of the influence of the church's social doctrine in the civil domain. So yeah. its its ultimate consequence is the denial of the rights of God and the supernatural order. It is the denial of the supernatural order established by God. This is called the heresy of Americanism. Uh, again, so it would be, for example, somebody saying, classic example, the, the, the Catholic left. They'll say, my body, my choice. The Supreme Court said that uh, I can kill my baby all nine months uh, in, in, during pregnancy in uh, 1973. Then you say, well, the catechism of the Bible says this. They'll say, well, I don't care what the catechism of the Bible says because the U.S. Supreme Court said 
That's the heresy of Americanism. Pope Leo XIII said, when you put the natural order or natural law above the supernatural order or the supernatural law. I look at a, I look at a guy like Sean Hannity, Jess. No one would question that Sean Hannity is a patriot, or very yeah. few people would. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, he's also a man who has turned away from his Catholic faith. Now he might have his reasons in his mind. He may be scandalized by you know different things that are going on. But the reality, and that's why it's important that we have to know that. Listen. Uh, just like Israel had bad kings on the throne and different things occurring, uh, uh, the people of Israel, where could they go outside of God? There is no place else to go. Whom have we in heaven but the Lord? And on this earth we desire none but him. Uh, the church, the Catholic church, is the church that was established by Jesus Christ. And, you know, it, you know we must remain in that church you know, through the good, the bad, and the ugly, because uh, you have to remember something about the church, that it is, yes, it is a divine institution, but it is also, there is a human element. There is, it is also yep. a human institution, and, and, and human beings fail, and that's why it's incumbent upon us to pray for our leaders, to uh, uh, repent, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's all I have to say on that. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, I want to tip my hat to the St. Patrick's Battalion. All these men are dead. They've all been judged. May they rest in peace. May God have mercy on their soul. I I could just say, I don't know what I would have done back then. I I would just say this, that I do. uh, They had heroic virtue, Paul, to basically switch and fight for the Mexican military and say, you know what? I can't kill my Catholic brother because of, of an American general that wants to take some more land. And so my hat's off to them. Uh, war is hell. War is hell. And let's yep. pray. Let's pray that for the Lord Jesus Christ. to c- Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Terry and Jesse show. That's a wrap. Two Catholics that are fully vaxxed with the blood of Jesus. Two Catholics fully boosted with the sacraments. Read your Bibles every day. Go to Mass. Live in a state of grace. Be holy or die trying. And St. Catherine of Siena, pray for us. God bless you. Keep the faith.